Hello and welcome to the First Prez OC podcast. My name is Gabe Perez, the youth pastor here at First Prez OC. This week we are in Origin Week 5, going through the rest of Chapter 3 and Mark. So going through Mark 3, starting in verse 6 all the way to the end. Uh, lots about family and faithfulness and what it means to live out our faith, as well as being an example to others, as well as just living differently in the world. Uh, a lot packed in this one, really long lesson, no worship. So sit back and let's get talking all about the Lord. All right, so this week, obviously it's week five of our origin series. Um, we are pretty far into this one right now, and we're really just getting cracking into this guy. Um, but we're about a th- actually a third of the way, really. Uh, not really. Actually, we're not a third of the way. We're like a fifth of the way. But um, we're going to be kind of rolling through um, pretty quick the next few weeks, because uh, the next week we're literally covering like a whole chapter. So we're just like plowing straight through. Um, and we're actually wrapping up the end of chapter three. But um, just re- real quick, raise your hand if you guys have ever been like super embarrassed by your family. Just like they're doing something... And you're just like, good God, please stop what you're doing. Because you're just like, oh my gosh. So, by the way, I just want to point out, so you two are not raising your hand and Chloe is. So that should tell you guys something, all right? (laughs) Um, But anyways, so... Yeah, I mean, we've all been in those situations, right, where we've kind of been around our family um, that, you know, something's going on, they're doing something, and you just, like, they're not stopping, and it's, like, in public somewhere, and you just, like, want to crawl out of your skin because you're like, please stop, please stop what you're doing, just please, like, stop what you're doing, Um, and, you know, it's just so cringy. Uh, We've all been there, and I've been there, and I'm usually that person, actually, all the time to my friends and family. It's great, Um, but... But believe it or not, actually, uh, guys, Jesus was that guy for his family as well. Um, Jesus was doing things that his family wasn't necessarily didn't understand. They didn't really comprehend. And they at times were could be embarrassed and were ashamed of what was going on because they didn't really understand what the heck Jesus was doing and what his ministry was a little bit about. Um, it's difficult to handle and understand what he was doing, um, both for his family and for other people that were around him that didn't really understand who he was. And actually, most people in Jesus' life didn't truly understand who he was until afterwards. So during when he was with them, they a lot of people didn't really get, like it didn't truly click that he was the Son of God, that he was God in the flesh here on earth until later on. But for those who weren't here last week, we actually talked about the Sabbath and fasting, for you guys that didn't uh, pick that up from all of our notes. Um, and we also talked about how Jesus pointed out the reason and purpose behind those two things and also um, that in general, God desires for us to draw closer to him, that Jesus cares about our heart not just our actions, that we can do all the right things, but if our heart isn't for God, then we're doing the wrong thing. Uh, we need to actually have our heart and our life invested in Christ, not just say we checked off a bunch of stuff on a list and a boxes, but Jesus actually cares about our heart, not just our actions of what we do. Um, so that leads us into the rest of Mark 3. So we're actually going to jump into Mark 3, verse 7 right here. So, it says, Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the lake and drew a lar- and a large crowd from Galilee followed. When they heard all about he was doing, many people came to him from Judea, Jerusalem, uh, Edmuya, uh, Ed- Edmu- Ed- Edmuya, it's all good, and the regions across the Jordan and around the Tyre and Sidon. Um, 
because the crowd, uh, because of the crowd, he told his disciples to have a small boat ready for him to keep the people from crowding him, for he had healed many, so that those with diseases were pushing forward to touch him. Whenever the impure spirits saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, "You are the Son of God!" But he gave them strict orders not to tell others about him. As so. As I mentioned before, um, in previous chapters, the word eventually got out that Jesus was around, and this guy named Jesus, whoever he was to the people, was healing and doing miraculous signs to everybody. So you guys remember the leper that Jesus healed, and he told him, hey, don't tell anybody. Go present yourself to the priests as an offering to, like, an evidence of what happened. And instead of doing that, the guy just blabs to everybody, hey, this guy Jesus healed me. Hey, this guy Jesus healed me. Um, and then after that, it says that Jesus couldn't enter a town without people crowding him because everybody wanted to be healed. There were so many things going on, people, so many diseases happening. And Jesus was, he's a servant. He is healing and serving all those people around him. But it got to the point where it was hindering his ministry. And so yet again, we see a perfect example of this, actually. Um, and it's kind of interesting um, because... Um, at the very end of that, it talks about this idea of uh, these impure spirits and these impure spirits crying out that you are the Son of God, declaring this. And Jesus actually tells them not to say that. It's like, why doesn't Jesus want these impure spirits of these demons? Why doesn't he want the demons proclaiming the fact that he is the Son of God, proclaiming his deity? Um, well, we also have to remember that people in Jesus' time actually had this preconceived notion about who the Messiah was and what the Messiah was going to do. They had this idea of this ruling, conquering Messiah that was going to overthrow the government and really be this like military leader for them. They didn't necessarily want to listen to what Jesus was saying. If they found out the Messiah was there, they were going to assume that he was going to do a few things. And it's based on um, a few different verses in the Old Testament, like this one in Daniel 7. It says, And to him was given dominion, glory, and a kingdom, and all the peoples, nations, and men of every language might serve him. His dominion is, everlast is an everlasting dominion, which will not pass away, and his kingdom is one which will not be destroyed. So this little passage right here, you can see, and there's lots of things like this, like that hint towards the uh, the prophecies about the Messiah, the coming Savior of the Israelites and the people and really the whole world in the end of the day. This is a small glimpse into like an Old Testament prophecy about the Messiah, right? So he sounds like a ruler. He sounds like all authority. Everyone's going to bow before him. Like he's going to be the the ruler and his reign is never going to end, all right? So it sounds like he's reigning, right? If a king is reigning, that means that he has control. He's over everything. And so everyone got this idea in their head that the Messiah is going to be a military leader and he's going to overthrow everything. But the thing is, they were wrong about the Messiah and they were wrong about what Jesus the Messiah himself was going to do. They had this idea um, and they thought that he was going to bring a, an earthly kingdom, but Jesus came to bring a heavenly kingdom and a spiritual revival to everyone through the Israelites. They had this idea that as the Israel Israelite people, the Jewish people, they thought the king's going to come, the Messiah, he's going to overthrow the government, and we're going to be the central piece, and it's all going to be us and the Messiah, and then everybody else, and they're going to be ruling underneath him. And so they kind of got this all backwards, thinking they were going to be at the top, and then the Messiah was just going to rule the earth. 
but really Jesus came to bring peace to the earth and to bring a heavenly kingdom and spiritual revival through them. Not that they were the centerpiece of everything, but they were the conduit to which the world would be able to receive forgiveness through the Messiah. They thought of themselves as this integral piece that was going to rule, but really they were the ones that were just supposed to deliver the Messiah to the world. And it's not that they weren't important, right? Not that the Jewish people weren't important. It's not that the, people, the Jewish people aren't important today. But it wasn't just about them anymore. And so they had this idea that was wrong. And as Jesus himself said, he came to heal the sick and the wounded and the sinful people of the world, which is everybody. And we also need to take note of the fact that we can't put God in a box. We can't put God in a box. All right? Now, that might sound kind of weird, but like, what do you mean to put God in a box? But think about it this way. Um, if we think that, you know, Jesus loves me, and that means that he's going to keep me healthy, and things are just going to go well for me. Or, if we think, um, Jesus is there for me, so I will always feel like I have a friend. Um, or if you think, um, Jesus is fully just, and he punishes evil. And so I know these people that have done wrong or have wronged me, and they're going to get what's coming to them very soon. Now, all those things are true, and they're promises from God that he is a God of justice, that he doesn't ever leave us. And not only that, that he promises us a life and life to the full. But when we apply those to any and every single moment of our life, we start limiting what God is going to do, and we expect God to show up in specific ways as opposed to looking for how God actually is going to work. We expect God to do specific things, and we put these, these limits on what he's going to do. We say, oh, I want to be happy, and so God's going to make me happy. But really, God's not always worried about our happiness all the time. He's worried about our holiness. And just because God is never going to leave us and never forsake us, it doesn't ever mean you're, ever, you're never going to struggle with loneliness or feel alone at times. It's not to say that God's not with you, but it doesn't mean that you're not going to struggle. It doesn't mean that things aren't going to be hard at times. And it doesn't mean that God's going to show up exactly the way that you want him to in your life anytime you want him to. And that might be kind of hard to hear and kind of confusing because you're like, well, I thought God was for me. I thought that God was there for me and that he was going to, you know, listen to my prayers and, and follow through on the things that I asked for him to do. But the problem is those are expectations that we're putting on God to do for us. We're saying, God, this is how I want you to work. That we're not asking, God, I want you to work. What are you going to do? We say, God, this is the way I want you to work for me. You guys see the difference between those two things? Yeah. You guys following me? So um, that's kind of what the Israelite people were putting on the, the idea of the Messiah. They were putting the Messiah in a box of being a military leader. And Jesus didn't want people to have this preconceived notion when he was preaching to them. So that's why he's telling these demons, don't tell everybody that I'm the son of God, that I'm the Messiah. Just let them listen to my words. Everyone's like, hey, you're the Messiah. You're going to do this. And he's like, no, no, no. Don't get this like misconceived notion. Just listen to what I'm telling you. So Jesus came with a different message and different thing else. So, and we can't necessarily think that um, when we see a promise of God and it doesn't happen for us right away or happen for us all the time, if we think that that's how life is going to be, that that promise is always going to be there every single time we think it should be there, we're going to end up being disappointed in our faith because we're expecting God to do this for us instead of waiting on God and seeing what he wants to do. 
And for instance, I know some of us has actually struggled in our faith in here. Uh, I'm not going to point any fingers or anything like that, but and I'll tell you even for myself, there's been times where I've struggled with my faith. And the thing is, you've prayed for God to help, and I've prayed for God to help, and say, God, you know, I, I want you to move, and I want you to help me in my faith. Help me to feel like you're there for me. Help me to feel like you're listening. Help me to feel like whatever the situation is, or or you just you're praying for something so earnestly, you want it so desperately, and you're just giving it all to God as much as you can, and it feels like He's not listening. It feels like He's hitting a brick wall, and you get disappointed because God's not moving or doing the thing that you want Him to do, and it it honestly it hurts. It can break your heart at times because you feel like I thought God was there for me, but oftentimes instead of wanting God to do a specific thing and, and putting a limit on what he's going to do, putting him in a box. Instead, we need to be humble and ask God what is best for us and what his will actually is, as opposed to asking God to do our will for us. We need to be asking God to do his will in our life. You see those two differences there? Um, so we need to be open to see how God uh, is going to answer our prayers and be willing to listen whenever he tells us um, what we can and should be doing. So after Jesus gets mobbed by all these people and he tells these demons to be quiet, um, uh, he actually appoints his official little crew. Um, so his actual 12 disciples, and we get to like see the full list of them here. So in Mark uh, three thirteen through 19, it says, Jesus went up on a mountainside, and called to him those he wanted, and they came to him. He appointed twelve that they might be with him, and that he might send them out to preach and to have authority to drive out demons. These are the twelve he appointed. Simon, whom he gave the name Peter, James, son of Zebedee, and, the bro and his brother John. To them he gave them the name Bonjeris, which means sons of thunder. Andrew, Hebrew, uh, Andrew, uh, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew. Thomas, what? James, son of Aphilius, Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. So, finally, right here, this is our little glimpse into the actual 12 apostles. So, you guys have heard about the apostles. Some of you guys might know some of them. Some of you guys know them pretty well. Um, some of you might know, not know any of them. Um, but these are the, officially the 12 that he appointed to be his apostles right here. Um, but it's also interesting to note that... We think that Jesus only had these 12 guys, right? Um, but that's actually not true because Jesus had like a lot of disciples, people that were just following him in general. But these 12 that he chose, he chose these 12 out of the followers that he had. But it's also interesting to note that whenever Jesus ends up getting arrested and crucified and eventually murdered, the only people that are left are 11 of all of his disciples. That crowd of people that were with him, everybody left him. And even the 11 that were there that ended up in the end staying faithful to him, even they abandoned him. All but one. And out of that 12, one of them is the one who sold him out to be murdered. That was, that's why it talks about Judas, the one who betrayed him. So you think about like these 12 disciples and you're like, that's great. Like he appoints them to be able to go and do these kind of cool things that they would be a part of his ministry. Jesus charges these guys to cast out demons and also later on to proclaim the gospel and to, you know, 
cast blessings on people as he enters their home or even to say like you know you're cursed but it's a whole other story we'll get into that later but um he literally like tells them to like brush their feet off in someone's house if they reject their them and their hospitality um but these guys um he chose them for one because he knew their hearts for two um he gave them the responsibility of actually helping with the healing and helping with people to do the miracles around him so if you guys look at that passage um he says he called them um he appointed the twelve that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach and also to have the authority to drive out demons. So Jesus' ministry, he's helping a lot of people. But the more he helps people, the less that he can preach. And so he actually calls these twelve to be preachers and healers with him. So now Jesus' ministry has directly expanded through these guys as well. So there's a there's a there's a role and a responsibility that these guys have. Um, the idea, you know, more hands makes lighter work. If you guys ever heard of that, um, it's kind of what Jesus was doing here when he commissioned these guys. And they're kind of the extra hands for his ministry, as we'll see later on. Now, that leads us actually to Mark 3, 20 through 30, right? Then Jesus entered a house, and again a crowd gathered, so that he and his disciples were not even able to eat. When his family heard about this, they went to take charge of him, for they said, He is out of his mind. And the teachers of the law who came down from, uh, from Jerusalem said, He is possessed by Beelzebul, but by the prince of demons he is driving out demons. Uh, by the prince of demons he is driving out demons. So Jesus called them over to him and began to speak, the, to speak to them in parables. How can Satan drive out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house is divided against itself, that house cannot stand. And if Satan opposes himself and is divided, he cannot stand. His end has come. In fact, no one can enter a strong man's house without first tying him up. Then he can plunder the strong man's house. Truly, I tell you, people who can forgive all their sins and every slander they utter. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven. They are guilty of an eternal sin. And he said this because they were saying he has an impure spirit. All right. There's a lot in that a little big passage here, but it's a very important passage. Um, now, if you guys look back at the beginning of that, it says they called his family was calling Jesus crazy. All right, so Jesus called, causing another hubbub, and people are crowding him. They're, they weren't even able to eat because there's just so many people and they're so packed in, and he's causing such a ruckus that his family just is trying to make an excuse to get him out of there and make an excuse for what Jesus is doing. Because everyone, there's a big deal happening. And they say, he's out of his mind. He's crazy. He's just some crazy guy that's doing some crazy stuff. And we're, we're trying to get him. Does that sound like a really supportive family for Jesus? No. Probably not. not but it's because they misunderstood what Jesus was doing. And they didn't understand what was going on. They didn't understand why Jesus was was doing what he was doing. It, it, to them, it might even seem like Jesus was fanatical about his faith in God and his dedication to this, this goal that he set for himself to go out and preach the gospel to people. Now, it's kind of interesting because, you know, just like we talked about us being embarrassed by our family and kind of wanting to kind of get away from them a little bit, but we kind of can't. It's a similar thing with Jesus and his family. They felt embarrassed about him. They weren't understanding or supportive of what was going on. And that's how Jesus felt 
or Jesus' family felt after him starting his ministry and dedicating his life to preaching. It attracted a lot of attention because not only was Jesus preaching something new that no one had heard of, but not only that, he also was performing miracles and serving people and helping people in a way that drew attention. And it was this thing that stood out to everybody because it was so different. Jesus' ministry was so radically dynamic in the Bible times that were going on that it changed the entire landscape. And it was so dynamic that obviously it changed the history of the world. The church today wouldn't be here if it wasn't for Jesus and his ministry, right? That's how dynamic what Jesus was doing. But it was so crazy that it also was something that his family could not understand. He was doing things different than the rest of the world around him. And he also is an example to our faith, right? So it's also important to note that faithful living stands out. Faithful living stands out. Now, what, what do I mean by this, right? Faithful living stands out. When we're living for God, it's going to cause our lives to look differently than what others are living like. If we're a Christian living in a non-Christian world and we're living faithfully, we're going to look different. We should look different than the people that do not have a relationship with God. People that aren't Christians probably don't care about how they talk. They're probably less concerned about how their actions affect others. And they do what they want on, let's say, Sundays instead of actually getting together as a church. People that aren't necessarily as concerned about God, maybe more than liking Christians, don't really care what they do on a Sunday. Sunday's just another relaxing morning. As Christians, the way we talk, dress, act, and spend our time should stand apart from the world around us. Jesus went, went, uh, Jesus was talking um, around, was walking around, and was very outspoken about his ministry and the gospel, and it attracted a lot of attention, like we see here, right? People were swarming him in any town he went to, to the fact that where they had to get a boat just so he could go out in the lake and preach, right? That doesn't mean that we need to attract that much attention, all right? I'm not saying that we all need to like be on the street corner yelling at people to repent, all right? That's not what I'm saying. And, I, and I'm not saying that we need to shove the Bible or our faith in other people's faces or down their throat. That is not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is the way that we live and the more that we live for God, the more that's going to separate us from the world around us the more it should distinguish us between us and our peers that do not know the Lord. Because God calls us to live a life holy and sanctified. And we don't live in a holy, sanctified world. So our lives and how we act and how we follow through in our faith should look different from the world. And the more similar we look to the world, probably the less we're looking or less we're living for the Lord. All right? As Christians, if we're talking, acting, and doing what other non-Christian people, our non-Christian friends, are doing, we probably aren't living for God. The more similar we are to everyone that we know that isn't a Christian in our actions and the way we speak, the farther we are from the will of God. 
as our faith as our faith as it grows should separate us from the world. And then also I want to remind you guys that doesn't mean that we should separate ourselves from people that are not Christians, right? Because as we talked about a few weeks ago, Jesus went into the environment where people didn't know him. He went to the people that were the farthest from him, people that no one wanted to talk to. So as Christians, well, yes, we should live differently. That doesn't mean we should just separate ourselves completely either. We should go into the places where Christ isn't a thing and bring Christ through our actions and our words to those environments. It should be something that defines us and separates us no matter the environment that we're in. And if we're in an environment that isn't for Christ and we start acting and living like the people in that environment, then we have a problem. Then your faith isn't being lived out and it's actually being dulled. The ministry that you could have is actually becoming ineffective. But I'm going to tell you guys, um, it's really hard. It's really hard to actually live out your faith consistently, no matter the environment, right? I'm going to tell you guys, um, I have a lot of friends that are not Christian. Um, most of my friends that I have from growing up anytime, um, none of them are really Christians. They all knew I was a Christian, but when I was with them, I didn't act like a Christian. I was very similar to all of my non-Christian friends in how I spoke, my attitude about things, how I approached situations. And yes, I would mention God every now and then. And I would tell my friends I'm going to church on Sunday mornings. Because I would always go to church on Sundays. But outside of church and outside of my church environment, I looked just like everybody else. I acted just like everybody else. I said I was a Christian in my words, but my actions were different. I failed to live out my faith. And it was hard because as much as I loved my friends and I loved God, I really struggled to do both at the same time. I really struggled to love God enough to live him out in my life, live it out in my life. And I loved my friends, but I didn't love them enough to actually tell them about the Lord. And it's, it's an extremely hard thing. But the thing is, when we do live for God, it, it, it makes a difference. Um, there was a job I had one time. I was working at a pizza place. And I actually um, made it a point. Initially, I was, like, really frustrated because I, like, was just wanting to do ministry. And I was, like, kind of an in-between part where I wasn't able to do ministry for a little while. And I was frustrated because I was like, I, I don't know what I'm meant to do. And then God really, really put it on my heart. I was praying about it. And he said, Gabe, where you're at is your ministry. What you're doing and who you're talking to, the people you're interacting with, they are your ministry. Are you being a light to those people? And after that point, when I was, God really pressed that on my heart and I started praying about it. And I started praying for my coworkers. I started praying for opportunities. And it was amazing how God used me in that environment in such a short time to be able to touch the lives of people around me. And I talked about my faith. And I was able to be a light and an encouragement to people and to a point to where my managers were saying, Gabe, I just appreciate you being here. Every time you're here, you're just, you're so encouraging, you're so loving, you work so hard, and you just have such a positive attitude. And I never told him, oh, that's because I love Jesus. 
wasn't something that blatantly obvious all the time, but they knew I was a Christian, and they saw how I was acting differently. And they saw the difference that it made not only for myself, but for myself and my coworkers, just through the actions that I had in my life. And when we live differently and we live apart for God, it's going to make an impact to the people around us. It doesn't have to be as in your face as Jesus getting a whole crowd of people and saying, hey, don't call me out in front of other people because you don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> Jesus was out proclaiming the gospel all the time. doesn't mean we have to be proclaiming it all the time. But how we live makes a huge, huge difference. Now, Jesus' family made the excuse to say he was crazy, right? But the opposite of that was not people saying that he was crazy, but they actually said he was possessed by demons, that he was using demonic power to do these miraculous things. Because Jesus was doing some crazy stuff, right? He's healing people. He's, you know, well, doing a lot of healing, casting out demons a lot too. Those are the two main things. But to be able to cast out a demon, you're like, how the heck is anybody doing that? And because they couldn't deny what he was doing, the teachers of the law, Instead of saying he was crazy, they just said he's full of demonic power. It's kind of wild. Um, and instead of, instead of being able to explain it, they tried to explain it away using the opposite. Instead of saying it was something of God, they said it was something of Satan. Um, and that's exactly kind of what they did. They tried to discredit Jesus. So one group, his family, was trying to discredit Jesus by saying he's crazy. And the other group was these people that didn't believe in Jesus at all and just said he's demonic and he's just out there, don't listen to him. Both groups are trying to calm Jesus down in what he's doing in two very, very different ways. So first he addresses the nonsense of this whole demonic power thing by pointing out that, hey, if I'm using the devil's power to cast out the devil's minions, that doesn't really make any sense. So he points out very easily and clearly that that argument doesn't really add up. Why would I be using the power of Satan to cast out Satan's minions to work against Satan using his power? Does, doesn't make sense, right? Um, but they're trying to fight against Jesus any way that they can. And then he also warns them with this very interesting thing at the very end, talking about the sin that can't be forgiven. They're guilty of an eternal sin. Now, he warns them that not to say that the work of God is of the devil— because that's a rejection of God. That's what he's talking about here. When you blaspheme the Holy Spirit. Uh, now real quick, everybody say blaspheme. 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 Okay, let's... All right, on three. Let's see, blaspheme. One, two, three. Blaspheme. There you go. Thank you, Richard. I appreciate you participating. There you go. So, in doing that, he's talking about... So, the word blaspheme means to like speak against or to belittle, to tear down or to discredit, all right? So he's saying when you blaspheme, when you tear down, when you discredit the work of the Holy Spirit, when something miraculous is happening, like it talks about when Jesus was baptized, that the Holy Spirit de descended upon him like a dove, meaning that the Holy Spirit came and indwelled Jesus, and that's when his ministry started. And Jesus gives credit to God the Father and God the Holy Spirit for his ministry here on earth. And when he's doing these actions, he credits the Holy Spirit with his work and his actions and his words. And yet the people that are seeing what he's doing, they're trying to say that what you're doing is of the devil. They're saying that God's work is demonic. That's why it's such a big deal. That's why he's saying, if, you're, if you try and say that the work of God is of the devil, 
that's an eternal sin. That's something that's unforgivable. Because at that point, you're trying to tear down God. You're trying to tear down the work of God. You're trying to tear down who God is. You're saying that God is something that he's not. And you're, you're trying to discredit that. And that's when Jesus says that's an unforgivable sin. That's something that we have to be mindful not to do. Now granted, as a Christian, as somebody who is just existing, it's kind of rare that would ever happen. You have to be pretty adamant not to want to acknowledge the, the righteousness and holiness of God when it appears before us through miraculous signs. Whether that be um, someone speaking in tongues, a miraculous healing, or um, a word of prophecy for somebody. These are all miraculous signs and gifts that God gives us. And if we were to look at those things and say, that's of the devil, I don't want to listen to that. I don't want to be a part of that. That would be considered blaspheming the Holy Spirit. So we have to be mindful and careful not to just say that something's demonic if we don't know what it is or the origins of it. But we also need to be careful not to attribute everything to God and everything's holy and everything's good. So there's a little bit of wisdom that we need to use there. Cool? Sorry, I just want to touch on that. All right. So then after this, um, Jesus pushes back on the idea of really who his family is and actually what really matters when it comes to his family. So that's when we turn to Mark 3, 31 to 35. All right, so it says, Then Jesus' mother and brothers arrived. So, by the way, Jesus did have an actual physical family here on earth. If you guys didn't already pick up on that, he actually did have a mother and brothers and everything else. Anyways, um, standing outside, they sent someone in to, call, uh, in to call him. A crowd was sitting around him, and they told him, Your mother and brothers are outside looking for you. Who are my mother and my brothers? He asked. Then he looked around at those seated in a circle around him and said, here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does God's will is my brother and my sister and my mother. Whoever does God's will is my mother and sister and brother. So Jesus pushes back on the demands of his embarrassed family. They're saying he's crazy and they're trying to get him out of there so he can stop making a mess of things for their family. Because it looks kind of crazy that Jesus is doing all this stuff and attracting all this attention. But he pushes back on this by pointing out that it's not just blood that unites people. It's not just the blood ties and blood relationships that we have that actually consider us family. But he points out that spiritual family is, fa is found in those that follow God. For those that have a relationship with God we can call those people family. So for those of us here that would say, I put my faith in Jesus, that Jesus is my Lord and my Savior, I can call you my brother and my sister. And I can call anybody who else who says that they have a faith in Jesus a brother or a sister in Christ. <laughs> and it's funny because he's saying, I'm with my family. In this moment, he's, he's pointing out, I don't, I don't need to go with my blood family because I'm with my family right here, the family of people that are willing to follow God. Now, that's a big deal because in Jesus' time, if you guys don't remember, Jesus is in an honor-shame society, right? And family is big to honor and shame. You don't disrespect your parents, right? <laughs> that's not just like a today thing. It was a much bigger deal for them back then. Jesus is in his 30s, all right? And his family's like, dude, you need to respect us. He's a grown man. Grown man's getting called out by his mom, all right? 
That's how normal and big of a deal it is for him to respect his family. But he says, no, 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 I'm not going to go with my family that's calling me because that's not the family I need. The family that matters that I need is the spiritual family, the brothers and sisters that are around me right now. And Jesus shows us here that eternal community is actually found in God. And that eternal, uh, eternal community, that family, is greater than our blood ties actually here on earth. Now, that might seem kind of dramatic and kind of out there because I'm not saying your families aren't important and that our blood ties and the relationships that we have with our families aren't important and that they're not going to go away because, you know, they are forever. You're not going to make them not your family, right? But Jesus is pointing out that the bond that we have as believers in Christ is greater than those of our family because spiritual family in, of God, the spiritual family of God, is united in Christ. And our physical bodies here, our blood relationships, are going to be temporary. Eventually, we're going to die. Sorry. Big whoop, all right? But guess what? But guess what? My relationship with Jesus doesn't die with me. It goes on forever. And guess what? That means that anybody that has a relationship with Jesus, I can call them my brother and sister, not just in this life, but forever. That we get to be family forever. That we get to be with Jesus in heaven forever, united with him, in faith in him. And guess what? This life is important. It does play a big role in our eternity, right? But guess what? Eternity is forever. <laughs> that relationship that we have with our brothers and sisters goes on forever. Not just for this life, but for the life to come. And those that put our faith in Jesus are also called children of God. If you put your faith in Jesus, you can say, I'm a child of God. I'm his. And he never lets us go. He never leaves us and he never forsakes us. And as family, guess what? We're going to have disagreements. <laughs> we're family here. And doesn't mean we're always going to get along. Doesn't mean we're always going to have the easiest time with each other. But guess what? Families work through that. And we not only work through it, but we come out the other end stronger. And we support each other when we need it. We're there for each other in hard times. And guess what? We also get to help each other when we see each other outside of here, right? So let's say, hypothetically, you guys are at school. And you guys see one of each other, and you're like, hey, what's up? And you guys go to youth group together. You guys can pull them aside and say, hey, how are you doing? And if they're having a rough day, you can pray for them. Or you could even, if they're not living the right way, you could say, hey, dude, why are you acting like that, man? Why are you, why are you saying those things? Why are you doing that? Why are you acting that way? Because as a Christian, you, you shouldn't be acting that way. And you can say, oh, man, all right, I, I got you, man. I'm sorry. We can hold each other accountable. Because as family, we're called to help each other out, to live out our faith. And that's the beauty of what we have here. It's not just here on Wednesdays or here on Sundays. It's outside of here we get to still have that community, that support, that love. For one another, all in the name of our relationship with Christ. Is it hard to live out our faith? Yes. Will we stand out at times?
for living on our faith? Yes. Will others look at us differently, like the Pharisees or like Jesus' family? Yes. But we have freedom in Jesus. We have freedom from guilt and shame. We have freedom from every mistake we've ever made and every mistake we're going to make. And not only that, we have love and compassion and purpose forever. Not just for a time and just for a certain, you know, when we're feeling down, but forever. I can always fall back on Jesus and his faithfulness to me and his faithfulness to each one of you guys. Because he endures through it all. This life is temporary, but our relationship with God is forever. And the least we can do is be a light into the world for him out of love and appreciation for all that he's done for us. All right? Let's pray. Father God, we just thank you so much. Um, Lord, just for the relationship that we have with you and the blessing that it is to, to know you. God, you weren't ashamed of the gospel. You weren't afraid to preach the truth. And God, you also didn't let people's insults or their thoughts of you or the situations that you faced stop you from doing what you needed to do, what you were called to do. Jesus, you set the example for us that the judgment of the world could never, ever overcome <laughs> your goodness and your grace. Jesus, the world can't give us what you give us. So we don't want to listen to what the world says. Because the world's empty and vapid and temporary. But God, you are full, holy, and give us purpose in life as our creator and Lord. So God, help us not to just go through the motions and pretend like, yeah, I got my faith right, we're all good. Lord, let us not fake anything because God, you see through our, <laughs> our vanity and our pride. Let us be humble before you. Let us live a humble life that shows our faith in you. And God, let us just remember how good you are for us and to us. It's in your mighty name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Amen. All right. There you have it, guys. That is the conclusion to a long week five in our origin series. Um, lots to think about. Um, very long passage. Actually, not that long. Just a lot in it, really. I feel like there's a lot going on in that passage. A lot happening between Jesus' family and, you know, people expecting Jesus to do one thing and not the other. And there's a lot in it, you know, um, if you guys don't know, I listen to every single lesson and I go through every single thing and I edit out interruptions as best I can. Um, and I try and do these, uh, you know, to make it as fluid as I can, but, um, just a lot to think about. honestly, even when I was doing this one, I was like, or like going through, I was like, man, that's a long one. This is, a lot going on. I'm like, when am I going to finish this? <laughs> um, but I hope you guys could get something out of it. Uh, even if it was a little bit of a lengthy one, even if it didn't have any worship, um, I hope you guys could be blessed by it. Um, and that's what this is all about. So I um, hope you guys have a great blessed day, evening, afternoon, early morning. Um, if you're out camping in the wilderness and you downloaded this to listen to it on your way out in the wilderness, um, enjoy the wilderness morning. Um, if you are in the suburbs, um, enjoying the cloudy day that it is right now when I'm recording this guy, um, 
hope uh, all's well and that you are continuing to draw closer to the Lord. So with that, stay blessed and have a good day.